Well, good morning. It's uh, good to be with you this morning and to be able to share the Word of God. And Pastor Chris is so kind uh, to invite me to come and share with you. It's been a while. And uh, I, I just want to begin this morning by thanking the congregation uh, because of your prayers. Um, somebody has uh, asked, and I've already mentioned it this morning, uh, about Doris and how she's doing. I don't know, is she here? Where is Doris? There's Doris. Will you stand, Doris? <laughs> That's what she gets for not sitting with me. <clears throat> anyway, but uh, uh, I have defined life as life is a series of changes with an occasional crisis thrown in. And uh, that's the way life is. You know, there's changes all the time. And uh, we went through one, and you were praying. Doris went through uh, major surgery and came through that very, very well. And we're thankful that you prayed for that. But, as, uh, it, but that had made me think about a change. Um, I was realizing that one of the things that I was doing was I was, I was being presumptuous. I was violating James chapter 4, uh, verse 13, where it says there, you know, don't think that tomorrow I'll do this and tomorrow I'll do that. And, you know, whenever Doris would say something, we ought to do this, I said, someday we'll do that. Someday we'll do that. And as I was sitting in the uh, re recovery area waiting for Doris to come out of the surgery, um, I realized that I was violating that principle. And so I started to think about maybe I ought to change. And since life is a series of changes, I've retired the second time. I'm uh, retiring from Lancaster Bible College in the position I had there. And I'll still be involved in pulpit ministry and uh, have a, a, a volunteer relationship to the college. But uh, I wanted some uh, freedom to be able to do some things which I have been putting off, which I should be doing. And so, uh, thank you for praying for us, and uh, another, another transition, another change, and, and it's good, and I'm thankful for that. Well, let's uh, turn to the Lord before we turn to the Word, and let's ask the author of what we're going to be studying today to lead and guide us into the truth we need for today. Father, thank you for your Word. It is truth, and thank you that you do not give us your Word without an instructor, and while there may be a human element involved, ultimately, our teacher is the Holy Spirit of God. So we ask the Holy Spirit of God to guide and direct in our time together. May we study the Word of God with the intent to not only know what it says, but also, Lord, to do what it says. Because you tell us that we are to be hearers not only of the Word, but doers of it also. So I'm praying that we would do that that we would apply Scripture to our lives. And we thank you and praise you for these things, for we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I'm just wondering, do you think you're going through a tough time? Uh, a lot of people would say yes, and they would be evaluating that on the basis of circumstances that come into their life. Uh, some people would uh, look back in history, and they would realize that History teaches us that tough times are nothing new. Now, that's easy to say, but I always find out that when I have a tough time, I'm thinking, no one has ever experienced this. But you know that that's not true. Probably thousands, millions of people have experienced some of the things we've gone through. But for us, it is extremely personal. 
And for us, it can be very paralyzing because in the crisis, in the, the tough times of life, we sometimes get paralyzed, and we need to have tenacity as we go through those tough times. You know, there's a, a, an example of this in, in, this, in history uh, in a church, and this church is uh, just outside of uh, London, and uh, this church was uh, built uh, when few churches were being built. As a matter of fact, they weren't allowed to be built. Because you see what had happened is that there had been a marriage of the church and government under a man named Cromwell. And Cromwell said, if you're not part of the church uh, that he was supporting and was supporting him, he said, well then, you can't get established. And so it was kind of interesting that during the English Civil War that uh, this man named Sir Robert Shirley he decided that he was going to build a church. And he wasn't going to be building a church that was uh, getting the stamp of approval of government. He was going to be building a church that was unique, that was different. Now, uh, Cromwell, upon hearing of Shirey's costly church building, now see what he wanted. He wanted the money that was going into the church to be put into the government so that he could operate his war, his civil war. And so uh, he arrested this man, uh, Sir Robert Shirley. He imprisoned him in the Tower of London, and there he died at age 27. Kind of amazing. Young man determining to do the right thing in tough times. And so the church was ultimately finished. Uh, by the way, Cromwell was finished too. And after Cromwell was finished, we find out that the guardian of his son completed the church. Well, there's an interesting uh, thing that you'll find right above the, the eastern entrance to the church. And you probably can't see this. It's in the headstone, so let me read it to you. But I, I just wanted you to be able to see it. It's in Old English, so it's a little tough. So let me, let me put it into our language. In the year 1653, when all things sacred were throughout the nation, either demolished or profaned, Sir Robert Shirley founded this church, this, whose singular praise it is to have done the best of things in the worst of times, and hoped them to be the most, and, and in the most disastrous times, the righteous shall be had in everlasting remembrance. I love that phrase, that phrase, have, having done the best of things in the worst of times. You know, some of us, we wring our hands and say, oh, our nation, it's going to hell in a hat basket. It's terrible. It's awful. It's terrible. And we whine and we wimp and we do all those things. Well, I think that there's another alternative. And the alternative is to do the best of things in the worst of times. You have that opportunity. Because you see, when light is blossoming in dark times, the light really makes a difference. So uh, I'd like to suggest this morning that uh, we need to think some about uh, the fact, yeah, there's a rocky road ahead. You know, that's the way it is. And you've gotten the warning. But, you know, what, what do you do? Now, you know, we travel a bit, and we've gone to different places, and, and uh, you all see a sign like this, rocky road ahead. Does that mean I stop driving? 
or does it mean that I have to be careful as I drive? You see, that's the, that's the issue. A lot of us, when we see Rocky Road ahead, oh, we, we just think, well, what can we do but give up? And I would suggest to you that's the wrong response. And, uh, you know, sacred things that are going on around us today are in troublous times. Are these disastrous times in which we're called to, to operate as believers in Christ? And the answer is, yeah, there's a lot, of, a lot of things. We could use a lot of things. We could say the influence of religion is declining. And as a matter of fact, uh, 78% of Americans say that religion has lost its influence in American life, according to the Gallup poll uh, this past December. We find out that uh, religious membership has drifted downwards. As a matter of fact, we find out that it's down from 70% in 1999 to about 50%. So that's declined. People aren't committed. They attend. They sort of jump from church to church to church, but they really don't take a membership issue, you know, seriously. You know, we, we refer to ourselves as a church. Sometimes we should refer to ourselves as brothers and sisters in Christ. Brothers and sisters in Christ, do they ever fight? Well, do brothers and sisters fight? Well, you know, follow the analogy. They do. So what do you do? Jump out of the family? So I, I think there's a real problem. And this is why a lot of people hold back because they really don't want to become associated because, you know, we, we have to bail. You know, another thing is uh, attendance in churches declined. Three in five, 61% pastors say their churches have faced a decline in worship attendance or growth uh, in the last uh, five years. And then churches closing... Yeah. Oh, and by the way, I want to tell you, our media will tell you all about that. They'll tell you about all the churches are closing. As a matter of fact, statistically, we find out that 3,500 uh, 3, to 4,000 churches close every year. Wow. But <laughs> you know what they don't say is that 4,000 churches are planted every year. You know, so be careful of, of statistics. You know, I, I think our secular world can use statistics very much like uh, it was often used in Nehemiah's day. You know, let's spread bad news to discourage them from building the walls. And, and that's, that's a, a thing. So, so what do we do? What do we do in, in these times? Do we demonstrate tenacity in tough times? Or do we quit? Do we hide? Do, are we in despair? Are we defeated? How do we respond? That's the question I have for you this morning. How are you going to respond to... Th these are truths. These are realities. These are, these are the situations. But I'd like to suggest this morning that God not only calls people in the 17th century to do the best of things in the worst of times, I think he calls the church in the United States to do the same thing in the 21st century, to do the best of things in the worst of times. And I would suggest that this church is the church that needs to do that. Look around you and, and wring your hands all you want but get off your uh, feet <laughs> and realize God has called you to do the best of things in the worst of times. That's your calling. That's what God has called you to be as an ambassador for Christ. So I, I'd like this morning to look at an Old Testament uh, passage in the book of Jeremiah and uh, Jeremiah chapter 1. And incidentally, there are some notes in, in your bulletin. These are, these are essential because 
you know when I'm almost done. So make sure you keep those, those handy. If you want to take some notes, fine. But what I'd like to really do, and you know that was my practice and it has been my practice from the beginning of ministry and, and is even now, I'd like you to consider discussing, reflecting, doing whatever in the digging deeper section throughout the week. May even be a good uh, practice for, you know, family discussion, devotions, whatever. But this morning, what I'd like to suggest to you is that our response in these disastrous times is God sovereignly selects and he equips his servants to be engaged in ministry in tough times. In other words, it's not that we don't have the resources. The question is, do we use the resources God has equipped us with to engage in the tough times? And I believe that we see in the life of Jeremiah that he does. Let me just give you a, a quick uh, look at uh, Jeremiah's disastrous times. I look, look at it in three different ways. Spiritually, the nation was just filled with sin and apostasy. The northern tribes had been judged by God and taken into captivity in Assyria. You would think that the southern tribe would say, aha, we've learned a lesson, but they didn't. As a matter of fact, we find out that they didn't learn from this and they began worshiping other gods too. Politically, we find out that the situation is in chaos. Judah was under tribute to Assyria, but their power was waning. And that sounds like a good thing. That's not a good thing because another superpower is coming in there that is even more intense and more severe, and that's Babylon. So Babylon is emerging as a world power. And Jeremiah, this young man, is serving under the last five kings of Judah. Not all good kings. And he serves for 40 years. He begins at age 20. And what I'm saying today is, as I look at churches, I'm saying... Let's cut some young people loose to get engaged in ministry and support them and encourage them because they are the people that can be engaged in ministry for the long term. Hey, my shelf life is short. You know, my expiration date. You know? You know, look at the bottom of my foot. It's coming up. The question is, that's fine. But a lot of other people ought to be stepping in. And Jeremiah was that person. And Jeremiah stepped in there and for 40 years faithfully was proclaiming the word of God. Doomsday was at hand. Babylon was approaching. And personally, look what was happening to this guy. Uh, he was from a priestly family. We know that because of the, the town he was from. We find that in the opening word, uh, Anathoth. And, and, and in that particular place, he had a, a religious background. He had a good heritage. And he could be then used not just to exist, but to expand the call of God upon people. And so he was. I, I think it's interesting, the titles that are given to him, he's called the weeping prophet, he's called the prophet of loneliness, he's called the, the reluctant prophet, and we're going to see why all these things are the case. I like what one person said as, as he proclaimed God's messages, he was opposed, beaten, and imprisoned, and finally abducted to Egypt. Here's what one person says. He was one of the most colorful of the prophets, using visual aids to reinforce his message. He was also the saddest because his burden was so heavy. 
the people would not listen to him. And even his own townspeople and relatives opposed him and tried to kill him. He had periods of depression over his failure. He did not want to be a prophet in the first place. But the urgency of his message was like a raging fire within him. And he could not contain it. He is an example of total faithfulness to God, regardless of personal desires and circumstances. That's what we need today. We need to have people who have the message of God's Word so burning in their hearts and in their lives that even though they would like to be doing almost anything else, they can't but proclaim the good news of the gospel to people around them. Amen? Isn't that important? And Jeremiah was that kind of person. And I'd like to suggest this morning that Jeremiah was called to minister to the world by doing the best of things in the worst of times. And uh, that's an important principle for us to keep in mind today. Push the wrong button. Let's look first of all at the calling of Jeremiah. And uh, you see it in verses 4 through 8. Let me read the word of God. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you before you were born. I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am a youth, for you shall go to all to whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces. For I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Wow. <laughs> now there, there's a calling. And, and I just love the calling that he's given. Uh, and and let's, let's just break it down a bit, make some observations about it. First of all, whom the Lord called. You see it in verses 4 and 5. One sensitive to God in verse 4. Uh, he was, it's not like, not like Paul on the road to Damascus. Uh, that you see in Acts chapter 9, verse 5. I mean, it was dramatic. It was something like that, but I'm wondering if that heritage of being in that priestly town didn't have some imprint upon his life. And I would suggest that in Christian families and in Christian churches where the word of God is faithfully proclaimed, there is an imprint being left on a generation, and that generation is being given the task of rising to the thing, of the stand of being, doing the best of things in the worst of times. So he's one sensitive to God. He was one known by God. Look at verse 5. It says, before birth. And, uh, and actually the Hebrew word there for birth means uh, uh, the word to, dis to discriminate or to distinguish or to know or to be acquainted with. He says, even before he knew anything, before birth, he says, God knew. Isn't that amazing? We think we know, but God already knows. That's an amazing thing, amazing truth. You know, when I was uh, growing up, when dinosaurs were roaming the earth, you know, at, at that particular time, I thought I was in control of my life. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? But I want to tell you something. God was in control of my life. And I've told some of you this story, and, and some maybe remember this, I have to really watch it because there's one person in this congregation, it was my next-door neighbor right across the driveway, literally, from me, and knows all about me. But I was a handful growing up. I was, I was a handful. 
Matter of fact, the lady from Calvary uh, Fellowship Homes, where I live, uh, died uh, just a little while ago, and another lady had to remind me just two weeks ago uh, when I was speaking there. She says, you know what so-and-so Mrs. Cook said about you? She says, he was a handful. (laughs) It's like I can never get away from it. The lady died. Let it go, you know? But here, here it is. You know, so we think we know. We think we know what we're like. We think we know how we're wrapped. I remember being so nervous in school that I couldn't literally put a sentence together when I was called upon in class. And now I have to stand up before people who are all critics, looking for me to say something that's wrong and to tell me at the door how many times I did something wrong. Well, you know, okay. But you know what? God knows. He knows you before you're born. And he knows where he can put you. He knows where you can serve. And he knows even the things you're going to face in life. He knows. So this is who was called. One sensitive to God. One known by God. One set apart by God. Verse 5. And again, it means, the word is, uh, the Hebrew word there means to set apart, to devote, consecrate, to regard, or to treat as sacred. In other words, God looked at him and he says, you are special to me. By the way, he wasn't special to him because he could speak. He, could, he was special to God because he was accomplishing what God's will was for his life. Not everybody's going to be a preacher. Not everybody's going to do this. But you know what all of us are? We're all ambassadors in different ways. And so this is what God says. He says, you're set apart by God before birth. And you're appointed by God, verse 5. And the word means, the Hebrew word that's used there means to employ, to devote, to consecrate, to dedicate, to assign, to designate. In other words, it's not just happenstance. You, you know, you don't just flip a coin and say, hmm, what will the world do? And that's not how you live life. You live life with intent because God has an intent for your life. So we live it intentionally in view of that. You see, God uses people who know him and who are known by him. That's the first thing I observe as we look at Jeremiah's life. That's the person who God uses to do the best of things in the worst of times. A second thing, look at how Jeremiah responded. Of course, after he, God would give all of these, these great statements, he says, yeah, right on, let's do it. You and me, we got it. Oh, so you and me, we got it. We're okay. I'm on to this. You saw what it said in verse 6. Then I said, sure. No. Then I said, oh, Lord, God, behold, I cannot speak from a youth. So, first of all, he starts off by saying, I don't know how to speak. I don't have ability. You know, I think it's interesting that many times we, we use that one. Uh, Moses used that one in Exodus chapter 4. Remember at the burning bush? God calls him and says, hey, you know, you're going to be used by me. Ah, can't do this. I don't speak. I'm not a man of words. I stutter. I wonder if you're saying similar things. God calls you to be an ambassador, and you say, well, you know, I never went to Bible college. I never went to seminary. I can't speak. Or maybe you use the other one. Well, you know, I get nervous every time I have to tell somebody about Christ. Or, you know, whatever your excuse is. But it's interesting, he says this, he says, 
you know, like Moses. He says, I've never been eloquent. I am slow of speech and tongue. And the second thing he used, he says, look, I don't have experience. He said, I'm only a child. <laughs> it's interesting, the word he uses. No, he was 20, but he uses the Hebrew word that means a boy, a lad, a youth. And he, he says, yeah, I can't do this. I'm too young. You know, I, I can remember uh, the first time before I was even saved, I, I understood something from a Sunday school class. The Sunday school class was this. It said that we ought to tell people about Jesus. So I had collected all my little Sunday school papers. They used to give those out. You remember back in the day? You have to be my age, I guess, to remember that. And I had all these little Sunday school papers, and I, I put them in my red wagon. And I went down Colfax Road, which is the road that, that I lived on and Elizabeth lived on. As I, wa- as I was going down there, I went from house to house giving them my old Sunday school papers. You know what? My dad thought that was wrong. As a matter of fact, my dad said, Bobby, go back and collect all of those back again. And so I went from door to door and picked up all those Sunday school papers I had given. Listen, even before I was saved, I knew a responsibility is given to every single person to declare the good news. Amazing. You see, God knows what he's doing even before we do. And that was his task. And so here's how he responded. And, and there's the second lesson. God values availability more than ability. God doesn't care how qualified we think we are. We are qualified because of what Christ has made us to do and be. That's what's the issue. You know, you may be qualified to be the greatest mechanic in the world. And somebody says, boy, you are so honest. And you say, well, thank you. That's because Jesus Christ changed my life. Boom! There's the message. And you can go further with, from that. You know, listen, I want to tell you, too many times we use the same excuse as Jeremiah, and we try to, to give that kind of response. There's another response thing. Uh, look how the Lord responded. <laughs> you think you can, you can argue with the Lord? Lots of luck. But we do that all the time. We come up there, and, and I, I find it interesting Do do you notice that he starts in the beginning of verse 6, ah, sovereign Lord. If he is ah, sovereign Lord, then just say, okay. But he didn't. He responded differently. So did he believe it? If he did, he should have obeyed. Look Look at how God responds. He says, stop using excuses. Do not say. You remember the disciples, they could have maybe been worrying about not knowing the words. They're saying, hey, look, we're fishermen. We're not, you know, we're not missionaries type guys mark 13 11 remember what the lord said don't worry about what you should say say the thing god gives you to say at the time it will not really be you speaking in other words you know what your task is in worldwide evangelization which is right here in lancaster county as well as other parts of the world show up show up you show up And I will tell you, and I will guarantee to you, God's already shown up. Because he's designed you for that purpose, and he will equip you to fulfill that purpose. So he says, stop the excuses. And then he says, start going. And it's pretty clear there, isn't it? He says, where I send you. In other words, this is what his task was. Don't say I'm a youth. 
for you shall go to all whom I send you. And then he says, and start speaking. Notice the next part of the verse. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. And notice the last thing he says, because really he's putting his, his finger on the issue. The finger of the issue of why he said, I can't do this. He says, do not be afraid of their faces. Verse 8. Fear is an interesting thing. Fear is what Satan uses to silence us. He comes into us and says, you're not capable, you're not able. These people are, are you can't, they're so knowledgeable. You know, it's kind of interesting that um, in the role I've played in the last eight years at, at the college, do, do you know, I was never trained to do any of the things I was asked to do. Never trained. Never trained. But I showed up. And I can, I can remember, uh, I can remember this conversation when uh, the academic dean came to me and he says, Bob, um, President, I would like you to consider being the interim chair of the Bible theology department. I'm there. Okay, this is a joke. That's, that was my response. See, I, I'm not quite as blind as that. I, this is a joke. And uh, you know, I said, you've got 10 men with doctorates, and I don't have one. I mean, I'm not even a nurse. And, <laughs> I mean, and, uh, you know, and, and he looked, he rolled his eyes. I'm thinking he's probably saying, yeah, I wonder what we're doing here. But, you know, so I did that for two years because I showed up. That's what God wanted me to do. Was I equipped? Not, not in human terms. But I did what I was asked to do. And then when I was done, uh, I was, I was given another assignment. We need to change the doctrinal statement of the college, Bob, and we would like you to take a look at it and to change it. Change the doctrinal statement of a Bible college? Really? And so I was engaged in that. And it was sent to the trustees and then to the federal government because we were looking for an issue with uh, the Title IX uh, exemption. What I'm saying is, that's not, that's not to, to I, I, was, I was wondering whether this should be shared, but it's not to toot my horn, it's to say, look, God knows how to use Balaam's ass, and he can use me. Do you know your Old Testament? <laughs> Remember that? The donkey had a talk. I'm qualified. <laughs> you know? Listen. Listen, I don't care. Some of you have, have, have had things in your life that have beat you up. You've had, uh, you know, life situations that have been hard, and maybe your, your self-esteem is like this. Don't measure life upon self-esteem. Measure life upon his esteem of you. And you're a child of God. I want to tell you, I, I'm, I'm glad that that's my childhood. Yeah, I, I, had a, I had an interesting childhood, but I have another childhood as a child of God. And don't you ever diminish what God calls you to do. If God calls you to do it, he'll equip you to do what he calls you to do. And so he says, he gives reasons, by the way. He says, oh, don't be afraid of their faces. Look at the two reasons he gives there. I am with you. I am with you. 
You know, and that's a promise that was made in Matthew 28, 20. I'm always with you, always with you. And not only that, but he gives another reason. He said, and I will rescue you. And the word that's used there, the Hebrew word for, for rescue, is, is, is a tremendous word <clears throat> because he says there, uh, in the King James it says, to deliver you. But it's, it's, the Hebrew word is to take away, to snatch away, to rescue, to recover, to deliver from enemies. In other words, it's not just that he provides a way for you to sort of run away. Boom! You're out of it. He snatches you from it. Yesterday, since I was moving um, my uh, library, or my library, my office from the, the college back to my house, uh, Dar said, you can't move the stuff back until you make room for it. <laughs> and so, by the way, I have some books if you want some for you. Uh, and so, you know, I, I started to go through some old correspondence. And, and uh, I don't know why I kept it. I, I haven't looked at it in years, literally. But I was looking through it, and I thought, you know what? It's amazing for some of the mistakes I made here at Calvary Monument, because the letters told me. I mean, they told me this, and they told me that. And I, yeah, yeah, yep. Some of them I didn't even remember, because there were so many mistakes. I just thought, how, how do you track these things, you know? But I went through them. And then there were some that were encouraging. And I can understand saving those. I don't understand why I saved the others, but, you know, but I threw them all out because I said, that's a past chapter. God writes new chapters every day because the Bible says his mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. You know what Jeremiah needed to realize? He needed to realize that God was with him and God would rescue him. That's why he told him, stop the excuses, start going, start speaking, and stop being afraid. That's an important thing to keep in mind. You see, God does not excuse our excuses. I mean, you can come up with them, and he'll go, uh-huh, uh-huh, now get to it. Because the excuses don't change a thing. They just reflect something of who we are. So that raises the question as we look at this first point. What's our response to God's calling? You know, do we come up with excuses? Or do we come up with submission? The second thing here is the commissioning of, of Jeremiah. And verses 9 and 10 say, And the Lord put forth his hand. He touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? You know, what God does there, first of all, it's by a touch. He said, the touch, by the way, is a symbolic act in the Old Testament. Remember, the priests were touched for identification. In the New Testament, missionaries and church leaders were touched. Emmanuel was touched the other week in his ordination and his commissioning. We find out that that was saying, we're with you, we're in this, we're, we're partners with you. It's a symbol of one's aligning himself with the one touched. You see it in the book of Acts chapter 13, when Paul and Barnabas were sent out, they, they laid hands upon him, they were touched. But, you know, that's fine to have people do this, but isn't it more important to have God touch you and say, I'm identifying with you, I'm aligned with you. 
So he was. He was. There was a touch. And then, verse 10, there was a task. Look at the task. Carried out by position. I have set you over. The Hebrew word there means to make or appoint as an overseer, to entrust, to commit to care. In other words, he's saying, you think people are over you. I tell you, I've given you a task where you're over them. You have a responsibility to them. So the task, carry out a position. And carry it out by practical ministry. Look at the ministry he was given in verse 10. He says, he says, I have this day set you over kingdoms and nations to root out, to pull down, to destroy, to throw down, to build, to plant. Do you see that there's corrective things there? Root out, pull, throw down, destroy. And there's constructive things. Build up, plant. See, he says, the task, Jeremiah, and Jeremiah had this tough task for 40 years, you have to point out ungodliness. You know, I want to tell you, that's a tough thing, and there are a lot of churches today that aren't going to do it. There are a lot of churches who want to, what they call, to be seeker-sensitive. That means you don't address the issues of sin. You don't talk about things like people are bound eternally to hell if they reject Jesus Christ. You see, that's, those are tough things. You know, God knows there's tough things. And God knows that you need to be engaged, he says, as you're speaking, to root out, pull down, throw down, destroy. In other words, address the ungodliness. But then you don't keep doing that. I've been at some churches, and, you know, they have the ministry of, of what I call injecting lemons into people's lives. In other words, anything that hurts and they hit it week after week after week after week. They forget that God is gracious. They forget that God forgives. They forget that God restores. They forget that God is enabling people to be rescued and reconciled. That's all of our ministry. And he says there, to build up, to plant. You see, that's the whole ministry. Yes, address ungodliness, but announce the righteous ways of the Lord. That's his task. So he was commissioned by a touch. I'm with you. But he was also commissioned with a task. He says, the task is one you're to carry out, to fulfill, to do what God has called you to do. I guess as I uh, look at this, I ask the question, are we carrying out the position and the task that God has given us? Do we see the authority that God has given to us? Don't abuse it, but carefully use it. By the way, when you are given a task, that is not a, ca- a task that gives you the right to be arrogant. There's a, there's a real pr- problem today in leadership, and in leadership, both in churches and in our, in our government and many other places, is that they're saying, look, you, know, you need to be involved in self-promotion. You need to advance yourself. You need to, to point out, you know, your authority. And you need to demand it. Matter of fact, uh, for those two years that I was the interim chair in Bible theology, we, we had a, I used to get resumes sent to me. And uh, these resumes, were you, they, they all followed this great format. It was self-promotion. Well, I did this and did that and did this and did that and did this and did that and did that. And so one, one guy got through all of these, all of the interviews and and uh, so he came down to this. I said, uh, after he went through all of this stuff in his resume, I said, who enabled you to do that? 
he was quiet. And he says, what do you mean? I said, I think if you ask the question, what do, what do I mean? I don't think you understand how you got to do the things you did. It is God who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. If God does anything in and through our lives, it's because God allowed us. God enabled us. God made us capable. So why are we worried about the commissioning? He's identified with us. He enables us. He equips us. He promises us. And I could use a lot of other verbs. But isn't it amazing that God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the wise? Isn't it interesting that God has chosen to use the, the foolish things to confound the wise? Isn't it interesting that he chooses to use the cross to confound those who are in their sin? All of those things, the Bible says God uses, and yet we come up and say, God can't use those things. We have to do this. We have to do that. We have to be smart. We have to be wise. We have to come up with a great mission statement. We have to have these great outreaches. By the way, I'm not against mission statements. I've written a lot of them. I'm not against outreaches. I oversaw a lot of them. But what I'm saying is, I'm not tagging my wagon to those things. The thing that's really important are we carry out the task that God has given us to do. And are we doing it with all our hearts, all our minds, and all our souls? There's one uh, last thing I want to observe in this is the comforting of Jeremiah. <clears throat> I mean, after all, <clears throat> it's very obvious that God is knowing this man, and he's knowing that there's resistance. He's knowing that he feels uncertain. He knows he's 20 years of age. And by the way, at 20 years of age, remember, he's not even qualified to be a priest because a priest wasn't actually able to be a priest until he was 30. Did you, you know, don't miss that. So maybe some of the things he was saying were, were a little accurate. God says, I really don't care. You know, it's not position that God uses. It's a person that God uses. I have great respect for Chris, and I am thankful that he's here, and you ought to be too. And one of the things I want you to understand is this ministry doesn't fly because of Chris. This ministry flies because of Jesus Christ walk, working and walking in the body of Christ. That's all of you. You know, you can applaud. That's not where I was going, but that's okay. You can applaud people, and you can applaud other things, but I want to tell you, it's really the understanding that all of us are ambassadors for Christ. I've said that earlier, and I say it again. There's an article that was just written uh, in Christianity Today, I think it was. It's, um, it was uh, the 1% apologizing to the 99%. It was quite an article. And what it was is a pastor saying, we need to apologize to 99% of the congregation because we've given them the impression that as we go, so goes the church. And he says, we are wrong. People do not exist to carry out our program. We all exist to carry out the program of God. It was a bold statement. 
And this guy has a, this big mega church, but yet he understood that he says, look, he says, it's not about me and what I want. It's about Christ and what he wants and how it honors the word of God. So <clears throat> look at the, the comforting. It tells us in verses 11 and following, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And he said, I see a branch of an almond tree. And then the Lord said to me, You have seen well, for I am ready to perform my word. And the word of the Lord came to me the second time, saying, What do you see? And I said, I see a boiling pot, and it is facing away from the north. Then the Lord said to me, Out of the north, calamity shall break forth upon all the inhabitants of the land. For behold, I am coming. All the families of the kingdoms of the north, says the Lord. They shall come, and each one set his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem, against all its walls, around, uh, all around, and against all the cities of Judah. I will utter my judgments against them concerning all of their wickedness, because they have forsaken me, burned incense to other gods, and worshipped the works of their own hands. Therefore, prepare yourself and arise, and speak to them all that I command. Do not be dismayed before their faces, lest I dismay you before them. For behold, I have made you this day a fortified city, an iron pillar, a bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, against its princes, against its priests, against all the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you. For I am with you, says the Lord, to deliver you. The comforting was first by revelation. He says, you know what? You know what I'm, I'm telling you? There's an almond rod, and that almond rod is to say that God will fulfill his word, verse 12. He says, I'm going to do this. And it's interesting. I am ready to perform my word. Jeremiah, I'm going to do it. And so don't worry about whether you're going to say something and it's not going to be done. I'm going to do it. And then the second thing he says, he gives a revelation of a boiling pot. And in verse 15, you get the, the clear indication. He says, you know, this is going to happen soon. So he says, by revelation, he says, there is judgment coming upon this land, and you have a task to do. You have a task to declare the truth in face of this judgment. And then he comes back, and he, there's a reassurance of what God would be to him. He's saying things that he said before. He says, I have made you. I've made you mighty in the Lord. He says, you're a fortified city. You're an iron pillar. You're a bronze wall. All of those things to stand. And then he says, and what I said before, I'm saying again, verse 19, I am with you. They will fight with you, but I'm with you. They will fight with you, I will rescue you. That's great encouragement. You know, today, Emmanuel leaves to go back to his home country. In some respects, some of you are saying, well, you know, he's going to be, he's going to really be comfortable there. No, he's not. Because the weapons of our warfare are spiritual because we face spiritual wickedness in high places. He's going to go back to hard place. And guess what? You're going to go back to work tomorrow, some of you. I was going to say you're going back to school and you're saying, oh, not me. I'm off till August, you know. But you understand what I'm saying. You know, just because you show up doesn't mean you will have easy times. And God is saying to him right up front, hey, Jeremiah, tough times are coming. Do you realize that Christ's intent is not to leave us in our task comfortless? I, I love these words in the New Testament. 
John chapter 14, Jesus Christ is saying to those who have trusted in him, his disciples, he says these words. Let me read it, verse 26. John, whoops, that's wrong, that's Luke. Can't find John. I I wonder if the the pastor here is going to throw me out of here because I can't find John. And I'm going to have to find it for the next three years. (laughs) Verse 26. Here's what Jesus said. I have spoken this as I am present with you. He says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. Bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives to do, I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Jesus always knows that we need comfort. We need comfort all the time. Yeah, we do live in this tough time, but God has called us to be the best of things in the worst of these times. I don't know how many of you uh, have uh, summer reading that are in school. We used to. I, I, and I, I read all the titles. I didn't know I was supposed to read the books. <laughs> hey, be specific. You know, I'm not very bright. But uh, you know the, the uh, book, uh, Tale of Two Cities? I love the opening words. And the opening words, by the way, think of it not in terms of Charles Dickens writing this, but think of an author writing of it about your day and mine. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epic of belief. It was the epic of disbelief. It was the season of light. It was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. We had everything before us. We had nothing before us. We were all going directly to heaven. We were all going directly the other way. Isn't that an interesting description of our day? It very easily could be. And it's in that setting that we need to have the tenacity to do the best of things in the worst of times. It needs to be a time when we don't look at the gloom and the doom, but we look at the glory of God, and we look at the divine program of God, and we allow that to be our focus. We need to focus upon the calling and be tenacious in tough times. God has made you. God has equipped you. God wants to use you. That's all with the understatement and the understanding that you've trusted in Christ as your Savior. I don't know all the folks that are here. I know a lot of folks, but there's a lot of new folks. And I'm not just saying that for newer folks, but also for older folks. Be sure that you're in the faith. How do you know that you're in the faith? You know you're in the faith when you've recognized you're a sinner. Romans chapter 6 says this. It says, The wages of sin is death, but then the good news comes. It says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So if you're here today, 
the best thing you can do in the worst of times is to accept a Savior who's Jesus Christ. And you do that by faith, not by works. For by grace you are saved through faith, not, that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So two responses today. If you're in the faith, then proclaim the faith. If you're not in the faith, come by faith into it. Let's pray. Father, this morning we thank you for your word. It is truth. And thank you for the demonstration in the life of Jeremiah. Lord, you've called us to be engaged in doing the best of things in the worst of times. And I pray that we would do that to the glory of God. Thank you, Lord, that there's nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ, not even tough times. And for us who are in these tough times, let us be tenacious, not just some emotional hype that we psych ourselves up for, but Lord, let us be tenacious in the Lord and serve in the power of his might. Today I was reading in the Word this morning about how David went out to face Goliath. He says, you come at, at me with a sword. He says, but I come to you in the power of the Lord. Lord, let us be engaged in ministry with tenacity in trusting what God can do in and through us as we yield to him. And we thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for this opportunity of fellowship to participate together in communion, remembering your body and your blood. We are indeed thankful for the sacrifice of your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for worshiping with us today. As you go, might you be compelled by Christ and motivated by love to do the best things in the worst of times. Grow in a greater love for God and a greater love for each other this week. We'll see you next time.